I didn't come up altogether for that. It was partly to buy Frank Livingston's roan mare, Margot. And now I shall not be able to sit in the saddle these two months. I'll send the mare down to you at the Pines. Is that the name of the place? Old Dillon fancies that I have something on my mind. He drives me wild with lemons. Lemons for a mind diseased. Nonsense. I am only as restless as the devil under this confinement. A thing I'm not used to. Take a man who has never had so much as a headache or a toothache in his life. Strap one of his legs in a section of water spout. Keep him in a room in the city for weeks with the hot weather turned on and then expect him to smile and purr and be happy. It is preposterous. I can't be cheerful or calm. Your letter is the first consoling thing I have had since my disaster ten days ago. It really cheered me up for half an hour. Send me a screed, Ned, as often as you can, if you love me. Anything will do. Write me more about that little girl in the hammock. That was very pretty, all that about the Dresden China shepherdess and the pond lily. The imagery a little mixed, perhaps, but very pretty. I didn't suppose you had so much sentimental furniture in your upper story. It shows how one may be familiar for years with the reception room of his neighbor and never suspect what is directly under his mansard. I supposed your loft stuffed with dry legal parchments, mortgages, and affidavits. You take down a package of manuscript and lo, there are lyrics and sonnets and cansonettas. You really have a graphic descriptive touch, Edward Delaney, and I suspect you of anonymous love tales in the magazines. I shall be a bear until I hear from you again. Tell me all about your pretty inconnue across the road. What is her name? Who is she? Who is her father? Where is her mother? Who's her lover? You cannot imagine how this will occupy me. The more trifling, the better. My imprisonment has weakened me intellectually to such a degree that I find your epistolary gifts quite considerable. I am passing into my second childhood. In a week or two, I shall take to India rubber rings and prongs of coral. A silver cup with an appropriate inscription would be a delicate attention on your part. In the meantime, write. Four, Edward Delaney to John Fleming, August twelfth, eighteen seventy-two. The sick pasha shall be amused. Bismala, he wills it so. If the storyteller becomes prolix and tedious, the bowstring and the sack, and two Nubians to drop him into the Piscataqua. But truly, Jack, I have a hard task. There is literally nothing here, except the little girl over the way. She is swinging in the hammock at this moment. It is to me compensation for many of the ills of life to see her now and then put out a small kid boot which fits like a glove, and set herself going. Who is she, and what is her name? Her name is Daw, only daughter of Mister Richard W. Daw, ex-colonel and banker. Mother dead, one brother at Harvard, elder brother killed at the Battle of Fair Oaks ten years ago. Old, rich family, the Daws. This is the homestead where father and daughter pass eight months of the twelve. The rest of the year in Baltimore and Washington. The New England winter too many for the old gentleman. The daughter is called Marjorie, Marjorie Daw. Sounds odd at first, doesn't it? But after you say it over to yourself half a dozen times. You like it. There's a pleasing quaintness to it, something prim and violet-like. Must be a nice sort of girl to be called Marjorie Daw. 
I had mine host of the pines in the witness box last night, and drew the foregoing testimony from him. He has charge of Mr. Dawes' vegetable garden, and has known the family these thirty years. Of course I shall make the acquaintance of my neighbors before many days. It will be next to impossible for me not to meet Mr. Daw or Miss Daw in some of my walks. The young lady has a favorite path to the sea beach. I shall intercept her one morning and touch my hat to her. Then the princess will bend her fair head to me with courteous surprise, not unmixed with haughtiness. Will snub me, in fact. All this for thy sake, O Pasha of the snapped axle-tree. How oddly things fall out. Ten minutes ago I was called down to the parlor. You know, the kind of parlors and farmhouses on the coast. A sort of amphibious parlor, with seashells on the mantelpiece, and spruce branches in the chimney-place, where I found my father and Mr. Dodd doing the antique polite to each other.' 